This is a Now Magazine podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Now What, which is the Now Magazine podcast about life in self-isolation. I'm Norm Wilner. I'm the senior film writer and also your host somehow. My guests today uh, will introduce themselves. Oh, that's not going to work, actually, will it? Uh, if I just point to you, you won't see me. You'll just see me pointing at the screen generally. That's of no use to anyone. We're figuring this out as we go. Uh, and apologies. Uh, so, yeah, um, this is this is our podcast. We don't know what we're doing. It's all very new, and we're dealing with a world that is changing from hour to hour. And uh, honestly, by the time we release this episode, there might be new rules in, in social behavior and pandemic control that we can't even imagine right now because that's the feeling I have just living from moment to moment. You know, I go outside to walk the dog twice a day and it seems like things are changing every time I'm out. There's something new, something different. Somebody else is spraying their walk down, which is weird. How, how are you all coping? Um, those of you who are listening uh, are welcome to share stories with us. Just email us at um, news at nowtoronto.com. And uh, those of us who are sitting here recording ourselves and talking to each other from our various household basements, closets, cupboards, and bedrooms are, uh, yeah, we're winging it too. We're doing our best to survive. So I'll introduce everybody. We have Nat Manzoko, who is our... Uh, Life and social media editor and also uh, part-time food writer, erstwhile food writer. I I do a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yes, you will. I mean, I think we're all wearing a lot more hats than we thought we were going to six weeks ago. Uh, we've also got Richard Trapunsky, who is... Uh, well, I'm the music editor. That's my title. Uh, but right now, during this pandemic, I'm kind of uh, wearing every hat. I'm, I'm sort of an all-purpose staff writer. Uh, you know, I've got stories on the go about tech and real estate, and so I'm kind of everywhere. Yeah, that's this is what I was saying. We were all just doing more stuff than we thought we would. Uh, Glenn Sumi is our stage editor, film editor, arts yeah, writer. So- associate entertainment editor. And yeah, my life has radically changed because I'm used to going out to live theater three or four times a week. And obviously I haven't been doing that because uh, all the theaters are closed. Yeah. And Rad Simon Pillay, who is a culture writer? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, what is my role? I'm a staff writer. I would take writing for the culture section so typically it's supporting you on the movie side television side as well as supporting glenn and richard on the music and stage side and then uh i don't know whatever else lately all i've been writing about is fucking real estate and coronavirus and i'm sick of it um, like i really want to go back to watching shit like everyone's posting all the shit they could binge watch right now and mm-hmm. oh my god i could catch up on this fucking movie meanwhile it used to be my job to watch movies and there ain't none um yeah. <laughs> like i'm full i am so sick of this shit but yeah that, that's how I'm coping. And I'm watching my kids on a trampoline right now in the backyard while I'm fucking rear-windowing this shit. Like, oh, look at all the people having their lives out there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, the, the world of... Uh, from my perspective, I still watch stuff because I still kind of have to cover the, the few things that are happening here and there. But yeah, everybody's watching a window now. Everybody has this this sort of frame for the outside world that we're no longer really part of anymore. I've been watching dogs go by the window and, you know, the ones Dexter barks at and the ones Dexter doesn't bark at, but that's basically Oh, you're my talking about literal now. windows? I thought you meant, like, screens and things on our computers, because I've been doing a lot of that, yeah. Well, we have those... Yeah, yeah, yeah we have those Very two. poetic. <laughs> exactly. <a> beautiful allegory. <laughs> it's... 
literally mm-hmm. all we have. Well, it's just because my projector doesn't work during the day, so I can't watch anything. I what do you mean? Really your projector doesn't work during the until day until nighttime. Well, you've been in my uh, in my studio. It's just there's glass oh, windows everywhere, the so the light washes out the screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now the days are getting longer, so that's actually starting mm-hmm. to work against me. Uh, but I, I mean, I can watch stuff inside too. It's just not mm-hmm. the same experience. And and I'm a, a clearly a huge nerd. Uh, I think we'll probably cut most of this. <laughs> so, but we are all figuring out new ways to do our jobs and that's because our industries are radically changing so that's what this episode is about just a quick overview of how everyone's industry of choice or everybody's beat is coping with the new um, the new normal so we're going to start with Nat and she was going to tell us about how the food industry is effectively just not what it used to be yeah uh, it's not it's not great Norm I'm going to level with you it's not great (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah I it, it almost kind of feels weird now to like look back to, you know, a week ago, a little bit over a week ago, like last weekend, the weekend before like St. Patrick's Day, when all the restaurateurs were kind of looking at each other being like, you know, do we close? Do we stay open? You know, what happens? Do we lay off our staff? Like, can we, how long can we survive? And then that last little rug just kind of being yanked out from under their feet last Monday when, uh, you know, all the bars and restaurants in the city were mandated to close, barring, um, you know, the ability to take out. Um, like, takeout and delivery is the only way, um, for those that don't know, that uh, a food business can stay open right now. Um, which obviously is a, you know, it's a blow. Um, you know, the vast majority of how restaurants make their money is through things like drink sales, through people staying a while, ordering a bunch of things. And, you know, the volume as well of having like a full dining room, you know, I'm hearing of places that are, you know, I I read a piece, um, I think in Vice, maybe a day ago, where someone went to a neighborhood restaurant in Parkdale and um, spoke to the guy who owns the place. And he's like, I've had three, you're my, my second or third takeout order all day. Um, whereas before that restaurant would have had several parties come in through the night, you know, several tables coming in, spending money. So the takeout situation is like restaurants have been really springing into action, kind of trying to get new things off the ground. People who didn't do takeout, even like higher end places that were very sort of, you know, not fastidious in a bad way, but certainly very specific when it came to the approach of the food they were making, their approach to service, things like, um, you know, I spoke to uh, Han Palkucheng from Favorites, and Favorites is one of those places where it's like, you know, he was talking about how the food is always served very, like, a la minute, very, like, seasoned, you know, right before it goes out, very, like, focused on, you know, freshness and these very specific standards of um, cooking and service that just have to go out the window because you got to figure out something that's going to hold in a takeout box to get it to people because those are the only, that's the only way that you can be a business. And he, you know, the chef was just, they had to lay off all their staff um, because there was no money coming in obviously. And so he's just back there himself trying to like make it work in the kitchen. And this is kind of the new normal now. Um, And it's really unsure how long these businesses can last in this mode because this is obviously it's it's a survival mode thing it's you know it's a it's a patch on the the hole in the life raft at best um but if this continues we're going to see um mass closures um i i would be very surprised if most places even made it through this um <clears throat> at all 
just because of the ability to like not cover rent. I, I think we're going to be seeing a lot of sweet new Rexalls opening up <laughs> in a year from now where all these community restaurants and bars used to be, you know? Oh God, it's horrifying. The, I just, I'm, I'm watching the places around me just um, pivoted to this as well. Uh, Hot Mess has a taco kit that they're making available, which is a really cute yeah. idea, but it also... Yeah, there's a few more places like that. Um, uh, General Assembly is one of them. They're doing like uh, like a pizza, like a pizza kit. Like they give you all the stuff to make pizza and you can do that at home. Uh, some people have some really clever ideas. People are doing more like meal delivery stuff. Um, but again, it's not necessarily sustainable. The other thing too is that everyone in the service industry lost their jobs. Lots of other people lost their jobs and people can't really afford to, to pay for these takeout meals at the rate that they used to be able to. And even if they do reopen um, in relatively short order, it's going to take a long time for people's paychecks and people's financial situations to rebound in order for them to actually go out and support these businesses. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel kind of bad because I haven't really been ordering a whole lot of takeout myself. I feel like I'm just like, I should be like supporting the people. But instead, I'm like, you know, staying home and cooking. I ordered from Gadir in Scarborough the other night. That was a, a banner evening for oh, where, me. From where? Scarborough? I think I was worried that like, Gadir. Okay, okay. Is that the Middle Eastern restaurant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a shawarma yeah. place. Um, I highly recommend getting their shawarma plates. Ask them for pomegranate molasses. Put the pomegranate molasses on everything. <laughs> It is the jam. It is delightful. Um, but yeah, the other the other conundrum that that's come out of this too, um, and this is something we're starting to see people talk about more and more, is the fact that you know Uber Eats and Skip the Dishes and DoorDash and all these guys uh, are one of the few ways in which people are ordering food right now because we're not supposed to leave our homes. We're not supposed to be going out to get stuff. Da 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 da. So. Um, a lot more restaurants are adding takeout options or delivery options, I should say, through these third-party apps um, where they hadn't had them before. And Uber Eats has, you know, waived the delivery fee for people. So that's been a thing people have been taking advantage of. The problem is that um, the delivery apps, like a lot of restaurateurs have this very love-hate relationship with services like Uber Eats and DoorDash because people use them and, you know, they're popular, but they also take a significant cut of whatever sale it is. So it's like sometimes like it's like 25-30%, right? And maybe that might have made sense for a restaurant owner kind of before because it's like, you know, it's brand awareness for them, it's it's extra orders, whatever, but with this being kind of one of the only ways that can make money now, it's eating into things even more. And you know, Uber Eats, they've they've waived the fees for people to order, but they haven't waived the restaurant fees. <laughs> As far as I know. And um, and so it kind of is pushing restaurateurs into this even more awkward position where it's like, you know, do you just not take orders or do you like take the orders, but you barely end up with enough left over to like cover all your costs and pay your staff. Right. Um, yeah. So even the, the stopgap situations that we've come up with, even the stopgap solutions aren't really all that sustainable in the end. Yeah, I mean, um, if this was two weeks, we'd probably be fine, right? But this is going to stretch on a lot longer than that. Yeah, and even, I mean, heck, even if it were two weeks, I saw a stat, um, I think it was one of those, like, you know, business groups, but they did uh, a survey of different um, different types of small businesses, and they found out that restaurants, um, on average, only have about 16 days of cash on hand. Um, and we're coming up to that 16-day mark pretty quickly. Um, like restaurants, uh, have always run on notoriously thin margins. Um, 
you know, they, it's a, it's a high overhead business. Um, so profits are slim. Um, a lot of places don't have great staff protections, uh, in place, unfortunately. And so it really is do or die for the restaurant industry in a very real way. Um, and I think a lot of people feel conflicted about even staying open to do takeout too. Like some people are like, this is the only, you know, morally, ethically responsible choice. You got to shut down, you know, don't, expose your staff to anything and then other people being like yeah but what if my worker what if this business goes under and my staff don't have anywhere to go after this you know so it's like i i feel for everybody involved truly like i i see all arguments and it's just it is not a situation that i envy for anybody honestly yeah uh in uh, new york uh, a number of uh, restaurateurs including the uh, noho groups andrew carmelini who's, who's a friend of mine uh have banded together and and they're doing something called Roar to raise awareness of the restaurant workers and, and push for compensation on the federal level, basically. Uh, is there anything like that underway in um, in Ontario, Toronto, Canada, anywhere yet? Um, there's not. There's been a couple of sort of smaller pushes I'm seeing. There is a, um, a uh, new group that's formed. I spoke to one of their uh, reps for a story a few days ago um, called Service Workers Toronto, and they are basically advocating for... Um, uh, better um, protections for uh, people in Canada who have been affected by, you know, layoffs, short-term job loss. So um, they're calling for things like a, like a rent freeze, um, which has been sort of a growing movement um, in the city in different sort of pockets. Um, additionally, there also seem to be some uh, organizational efforts from uh, restaurateurs themselves to kind of advocate for things like, you know, um, better relief protections on commercial rent, things like that. Um, so it's starting. I don't know how much momentum it's gained at this point, but it's something that people have definitely started to organize around. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. Uh, and now the, uh, the next one on the list is the music industry. So Richard, um, yeah, I guess live streaming is an option, it's right? It's an option. It's a lot of people have, uh, have adopted it. We've actually at now we've started listing live streams, uh, as, can you hear me? Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. And now we've we've started listing live streams. Um, you know where we would usually list live music. Live music is not a thing right now, and it won't be for another few months. All, you know, all the festivals have been canceled. The Junos were canceled. Um, you know, I think it, it's a major thing for Canadian musicians, especially indie musicians. That's most of their revenue stream. Streaming is still a thing. Um, actual sales of music are still a thing, but. I think they said, you know, Rad actually wrote a story about the impact this has for uh, music. And a lot of the musicians we talked to said that something like 90% of their revenue was made on the road. Um, and, you know, the other 10% maybe was coming from merch and that kind of stuff that you're even selling on the road. So that's all dried up. Um, yeah, live streams have definitely become a thing. Um, the National Arts Center in Ottawa, the Canada's National Arts Center, launched a grant um, for live streams for uh, Canadian musicians who want to record a, I think it's like a 45 minute concert, um, can get $1,000 through this grant to do that. Um, so that's one little bit of, and, and you know, the money is coming from Facebook and it live streams on Facebook. So that's one avenue that people are exploring. I've seen a lot of GoFundMes starting to pop up, but uh, you know, that can only take you so far. Um, last week, um, Bandcamp, which is, you know, an online sales re retailer uh, waived their revenue split so they were giving a hundred percent of their royalties back to the artists um and so but that was a one-day sale 
but apparently they saw like a, a pretty significant spike uh, in the amount of music they sold that day. So that's, you know, I, wow. I guess sort of a way of putting a little bit of money back in musicians' pockets. But I think like all the other beats we're going to talk about, like uh, it's had to radically shift. And I don't think in terms of revenue, at least, I don't think they've quite figured it out yet. And I don't know if they will. Yeah. I'm. Uh, when you said 90% comes from touring and 10% comes from merch. So the music sales themselves really just aren't a factor anymore, are they? I mean, that's that was the case beforehand. It was the case. Yeah. I mean, it shifted quite a bit uh, a while ago. Uh, streaming picked way up. Like that sort of has supposed to be, you know, quote unquote, saved the record industry. But, uh, you know, there have been a lot of studies done of the amount of revenue that actually goes to artists from a stream on Spotify, you know, you'll, you'll hear from artists who have like hundreds of thousands of streams a month and are getting like a check for $4 or that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that was before all this went down. Um, and actually you would expect, uh, everyone's cooped up indoors. Uh, you would expect that like Spotify streams would go way up, but they've actually gone down, uh, since everyone's been inside. Um, I think part of that, you know, I've seen some theories. Part of that is probably like the amount of music that's streamed at like a bar, let's say on a Saturday night, you know, bars are all closed. Um, People aren't going to the gym and sort of passively listening to music at the gym. Uh, You know, one one area where it actually might pick up and where it has already is like music videos, YouTube, and I guess live streams too, but things where it can take 100% of your attention because we're all in front of three screens i'm in front of three screens right now like i've got my phone and my computer and my tv over there so uh you know i can't go outside but i can look into a lot of different windows yeah yeah i i keep waiting for someone to crack it that figure out you know everybody says oh the art's going to be so good in six months it's like no it's not it's going to be people doing monologues and dialogue studies and two people in rooms and show after show after show and and there there is this fascinating new angle and i think this is going to help us pivot to to you glenn um stage is perfect for this there are going to be coronavirus plays right there are going to be people trapped in space Mm -hmm. with each other um but not now. Now there's... Well, actually, there is. There's uh, one of the most sort of innovative uh, indie theater companies called Convergence Theater. They've come up with something called, uh, I think it's called the Corona... Converge Against Corona. And uh, and one, okay. of the, one, of the, one of the pieces actually uh, sort of does involve, uh, you know, phoning, phoning this weekend. I think the phone lines are going to be open for 36 hours. You can phone this line or email and just tell the company how you've been affected uh, emotionally, um, financially by, by the crisis. And they are going to pair those stories, those real life confessions up, uh, with artists from various disciplines. So they've sent out, what they want to do is they want to please audiences who no longer have something to entertain themselves with. Um, and also artists who, you know, have lost royalties, have lost like fees and also, and also patrons who can, you know, who can afford to pay for these things. So, so they're going to, um, take those confessions, give them to an artist, uh, in whatever medium, and then they're going to pair that up with a patron who you know wants wants something for themselves. So this is so these artists working in whatever dance, visual art, theater, um, they will produce something for based on those confessions, and then a patron will end up with it. And at the end of this period, at the end of this process, um, I think they're going to display all of these pe- these pieces or broadcast or whatever on their website so everyone can look at them. 
uh, and then there's another there's a, another component uh, which is you can phone in and listen to a series of five minute Corona plays, and you won't find out who the playwright is or who the actors are until after you've after you've experienced the show. It's it's really hard talking about these as shows. They're sort of more like experiences, but um, I think they realize that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of uh, exhausted looking at so many screens and they're sort of going back to that old fashioned technology, the telephone. A couple of other companies also are using yeah. that outside the March has this uh, this new initiative, which they're launching at the end of the month. Uh, in which you receive a daily phone call for I think uh, maybe a week, and uh, you're talking to talking to artists, and they are going to construct uh, a mystery based on your conversation. Uh, and then another company called Dopo Lavoro Teatral. Um, I think they're reading live stories from the Decameron, which of course you know Boccaccio's massive book, which came out of uh, uh, a, a previous plague. Um, yeah. yeah, so people are dealing with, uh, with dealing with this crisis. Uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people, we were talking about streaming earlier. Obviously, one of the first things that people were doing was live streaming things. And as we're actually taping this, as we tape this right now, there is a 24-hour virtual telethon going on to raise funds for the Actors Fund of Canada. Now, actors, are, of course, are, you know, one of the most extremely hit by this crisis um and it's going on started at two o'clock on wednesday eastern standard time and it's going on for 24 hours and it, it's l literally a who's who of the country stage talent there are like nightly shows there's a show by the uh, producer and actor christopher wilson it's called big girl and friends it's a sort of live daily interview show with musical theater people so they'll sing a couple of songs Rebecca Perry is live streaming a show that she took to Edinburgh last year called uh, From Judy to Bet. That's happening on Thursday night. And, um, uh, you know, the Skechersons are putting on Sunday Night Live at Comedy Bar. They're going to be streaming a live version of their show this Sunday. I don't know how the cast is going to convert from that, so that'll be interesting. But I think one of the, you know, I'm finding some really creative responses to this. I think we're, you know, live streaming is fine. It just, it doesn't replicate the the experience of being there live. But somebody like Gavin Crawford, you know, who's a Second City vet, he has, uh, he has the radio show CBC's uh, Because News. He created this uh, hashtag uh, called Social Distunes, where you know he's invited people to record, to videotape themselves singing well-known songs, but with different lyrics. Uh, Jan Caruana, who's another Second City vet, she's really amped up all her baking and cooking uh, videos on Instagram. And I think my favorite of the whole thing is uh, is Pat Thornton. He's a stand-up comic, and he's been posting photos of his of his child Larry in, out yes, <laughs> in outfits those. of different people. Uh, so far, there have been, like, there have been, uh, you know, I think his wife or partner is, uh, is very crafty, so she's really good with creating these costumes out of nothing. So, so far, Larry has... Uh, has been Roberta Bondar, Rambo. I requested Charlie Brown, and that came out really well. Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> uh, and the hashtag for that, on Twitter at least, is Larry Looks. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, that's just uh, a, a cute little time waster. But, but these people who are so creative uh, have found these sort of different outlets, I think, to express themselves. And, you know, we're, we're benefiting from that.
one thing this has shown us, like one interesting side effect, I think of this is, uh, it's kind of in a way, the dream of the internet that we all hoped the internet would be, (laughs) (laughs) that it would actually, you know, that it would actually connect us. Uh, we'd all be more social. Mm. We'd use it in these, uh, interesting ways that we all have been, but, um, you know, it kind of got overloaded by weird, uh, white nationalists and trolls and Gamergate kind of stuff. Uh, I'm sure that's still yeah. out there, but people have been a lot more friendly and uh, just creative in figuring out ways to do it. Like we had a story about this thing called Club Quarantine, um, which was started by a bunch of DJs in Toronto. Uh, and it's like a virtual nightclub on the app Zoom. Um, they've been getting like thousands of people. It's every single night at nine. Uh, you know, there'll be like a DJ playing a soundtrack and then every individual person in their own place dancing along, you know, they've all got their own looks. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a queer club. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's one thing that I think has actually... Last night I did a, a pub trivia, a pub quiz on Zoom and 75 people showed up. And, you know, it took some getting used to. There were some hiccups, but uh, it worked and it, you know, it was fun. It was actually really fun. So, I, was was that all done by video screens or by individual chat windows? I mean, how do you do mm-hmm. seventy five people in one? Yeah, so there was event? the one host uh, who he would talk, and then he muted everybody else, and so everyone's <laughs> listening to him give the questions. Uh, I had a second screen going on my computer with my team. We were a team of about eight people. So on my one computer, we had a Google Hangout where we're all <laughs> talking, and then on my phone wow. was the host of the pub quiz reading the questions. Um, and, you know, you're marking and, uh, you know, it kind of worked as it normally would at the pub. Like it was surprisingly seamless, despite like a few people forgetting to mute and then everyone hearing their weird bickering <laughs> with their partner. But, uh, yeah, that would actually be my favorite part. That would be the reason to do this for me, just to listen in on everybody else. I, I did this um, this remote appearance at a Ryerson class last week uh, for Daniel Clarkson Fisher's documentary class. And the students, I think there were eight or nine, I think it was an MFA program, and um, they're all really smart, really clever, clued in, current, immediate to the moment that we were talking about, but they were also chatting during this during the conversation. And I, I, I was frankly amazed that they could do that because I was having trouble paying attention to it. But then, of course, I said something about Bernie Sanders and somebody said, I'm unfollowing Norm for Bernie. And it's like, <laughs> you know I can see that, right? The, it's my favorite part. I can see your thoughts now. That's what the internet does me. Mm-hmm. By the way, but, Norm, can you still come to talk to my Humber class on Friday? <laughs> absolutely. Great. We'll talk it's, about that later. <laughs> you'll They'll get the exact same view you see right here in the Zoom window now. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. This is an impressive DVD shelf you have behind you, by the way. I'm, I'm truly, I'm truly. That impressed. is just a oh, that's fraction just one, of his wall. That's just one yeah. shelf. <laughs> what? Yeah, it goes on for a while. I, as long as we have power, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's surprising how many people don't even have players. Like there were, you know, when I was posting. I know it's, it's like, horrifying. Yeah. I, I have spares. You don't, yeah. What? I know. How are you alive? What happens when the stream goes down? I won't even buy a I mean, MacBook this... without a disk drive on it, just because I don't trust internet connections. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have external yeah. drives for that very reason, and just in case. I think, I think I about what's a... going to happen if the internet goes down. Mm-hmm. Just society is going to completely collapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so much of this, you know, like we're all kind of still having this sense of community. I suppose there's the phone, but you know, the party line is long, 
long gone artifact of a, of a past that we don't uh, want to we go just back like, to. We would just like return to like, it would be like an annihilation situation. We were all just like melt into nature. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there would just, just be nothing tethering us to humanity anymore. Yeah. I honestly think that I would simply walk into the lake. <laughs> it would just be that point. This is going to be a topic for a future podcast. How are you going to end it when we all go feral? But uh, I don't think we're, we're not there yet. Um, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> This is the only way I'm maintaining is gallows humor and box sets of 30 Rock. Um, so that does get us to movies and, and the fact that um, as long as the internet is running, we can stream stuff and studios are releasing things on VOD now to maintain the momentum from their theatrical run. Uh, we're recording this the day after Bloodshot came out, uh, like 11 days after its oh, theatrical release on the 13th. I didn't know that. Did they release Bloodshot on mm-hmm. VOD? Okay. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Bloodshot is uh, it's a it's a purchase only. I mean, it's it's they're basically going for uh, premium uh, premium purchase uh, availability or rental windows. I think you can buy Bloodshot. I definitely the three Universal titles that mm-hmm. came out last week: The Hunt, The Invisible Woman, and Emma are all yeah. purchase uh, of rental. Sorry, they're all rental yeah. only. You can get them for forty eight hours for twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. Bloodshot, I think, is like twenty four ninety nine to own. Birds of Prey is available to own. Just Mercy just came out, but that was on its way to disc anyway. They've just collapsed the mm-hmm. window. Uh, and and Disney is doing it with Onward uh, being available to buy now, and it'll be on Disney Plus in two weeks. Yeah, I think this is a really interesting experiment uh, to see how those things do, do how those, you know, uh, normally first-run uh, films will do when streaming. Uh, so I'd love to see the numbers, you know, if they come in on that. Uh, you know, because things have been pivoting to home video and streaming. So, you know, is is the theatrical experience still still valued? I think they're going to find out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the biggest test, like right now, like the biggest test is if we see one of those major tentpoles. Oh, yeah. Like if they immediately, because I mean, the thing is, Onward would count as that, except that Onward did have, I think, a two-week yeah. run before we yeah, all, yeah. and the same for bloodshot right it it did open it did yeah uh it's the same reason universal pushed fast yeah. and furious 9 they way did. into next year and the disney just yanked mulan mm-hmm. the those movies are just yeah. too expensive to release directly to the market no matter how mm-hmm. well they do um you know mulan and and fast 9 were all counting on yeah. china yeah. money on the money from the theatrical release market in china and and overseas in general the fast and the furious movies make twice as much mm-hmm. i think globally mm-hmm. as they do domestically and you know wonder woman just moved to uh august yeah. i think warner announced but there's no way they're gonna fast track that to mm-hmm. to digital i mean unless unless this stretches out for a year and at that point i think they'll still hold everything as long as they can just because there won't be any new mm-hmm. content to release mm-hmm. Once everything starts up yeah. again, well, so yeah, we're in this really weird but, place. I mean, like the sorry, the, the the interesting thing is Disney. It's Disney's position because wasn't like ten years ago. Didn't like uh, the 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 CEO of Disney be like, I'd like to re- release an Avengers movie straight on streaming one day. Like you know, like there was a time where he talked about or threatened the idea of going straight to digital uh, with his streaming service, and now yeah. they have Disney Plus. They're the only studio, major studio. That like you know has this advantage where they could tr- take Black Widow and put it right to streaming and, and entice people to go on mm. Disney Plus because right now Disney Plus ain't got shit. <laughs> like, you know, like they had like Mandalorian and everyone. You know, I don't know. I don't know that they had anything else that was luring people in there except for their mm. classic titles. Which why are you going to pay ten dollars a month for the movies you've probably already seen? Um, so I thought that yeah. they would like you know do the Mulan thing or use one of their big titles to try and like steer people towards Disney Plus because this is the position they've been threatening for almost a decade now. 
Yeah, I think the problem is that they would still need to make the mm. money, right? Like you could, they could maybe uh, uh, short of establishing a premium mm. tier where you get to right. do that, and it costs twenty dollars a month. The 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 scale of it has to be so big that everyone would have to subscribe to make a fraction, you know, to break a hundred million dollars in mm. revenue in a given month for something that needs to make a billion dollars to mm. justify its existence. Like the the this model, this this blockbuster model, where and it's the thing that started. The Marvel movies started it, I suppose, but then DC really and Warner cemented it when Batman v Superman tanked. I mean, it didn't tank; it made eight hundred million dollars. <laughs> but because it didn't make one point two billion dollars, Warner said, "Well, we're just going to stop making mm. mid-range movies and focus on these yeah. and make them better." So they they pull in the return on investment because they cost two hundred mm-hmm. million dollars, or you know, bottom line, it's like one hundred and fifty million to two hundred and twenty million to make one of these movies. So you can't just put it out to stream because you won't make the billion dollars that justifies it and keeps the rest of your well, studio. Even bear in mind that, but putting in theaters is also an expense, right? So they, they need to make they need to make that one point two billion dollars because remember that theaters, mm-hmm. like I mean, yes, they're not theaters aren't getting much of a cut in that first or second th- third week window, but down the road they get bigger percentages and then also just kind of the distribution costs and the marketing costs and all of that. Like the theatrical is a big expense, which is why they need to go to across that $1 billion mark. Streaming is relatively low cost, I assume. So they don't need to make that. Yeah. Much. It's much, much cheaper. Yeah. But a uh, theatrical is not, doesn't cost what it used to cost. I mean, it used to be $3,000 for a single print right. of a film and now you've got a $40 hard oh, yeah, drive yeah, yeah. that can power an well, entire. I'm megaphone. surprised that you, so you were saying it's $20 for a 48 hour window. To watch a first-run film, yeah, you can. That right now you can in, rent yeah. uh, the and three universal films. You don't even for 20 own bucks. the things; so you just are renting it. You know, because video rentals, mm-hmm. there right. nowhere it, near the, that, I, right? For a first-run, yeah, film, no. Yeah. The idea is that you're, yeah. I mean, I think you can buy most mm-hmm. most VOD titles now for fourteen right. ninety nine in HD or, or nineteen ninety nine. Uh, I was just pulling together the calendar of VOD releases that are coming out yeah. next week and. There's one, um, I think Vivarium, which is which was going to open theatrically on Friday and is now yeah. just going out on VOD because that's the only option. Mongrel is making that available to own for fourteen ninety nine. No, that's reasonable. Uh, which is, I no. think, yeah, and that's an yeah. appealing price point, right? Because it's less than two totally. tickets would cost, yeah. and you own it. Although, I don't know how many people are going to actually <laughs> want to own Vivarium in the two weeks. They'll probably pay to rent it out of curiosity. Like it's not a yeah. giant movie that you have to be part of the conversation of. Um, with the uh, with the universal stuff, it was very clear that that's that's the model they would prefer. Where oh, you know what? I would like to see that again and mm. pay more money for the first two mm. months, and then they'll release it as the standard VOD, where it's available for purchase for two weeks, and then it comes down to rental as well, and then the DVD wow. comes out, and and disc stuff is still happening. Yeah. Um, I just got Doolittle in the mail oh. yesterday from Universal. They do <laughs> occasionally send me things. I'm going to get Doolittle and Cats oh, in all of this. There's a night for you. Uh, Cats is out on digital. <laughs> You're going to have to lend me Doolittle because oh, my kids are actually very curious about that one. They're like, how the hell did we skip that one? And I'm like, well, I did it on purpose. Yeah, what <laughs> happened, Brad? I gave it to, <laughs> well, An- I gave it to Angelo Moretto. Right. I yeah. can't. No, but was I away? I, I think you were. Yeah, I, was... I think you were away. You were, yeah, you were busy. So. Some, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to remind the kids that there's this movie in the theaters for them to watch. <laughs> Move on to the next one. Well yeah. played. Yeah. You, know, you can have mine when I, uh, the next time I see you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a weird new reality where we're all adjusting and we're all making the decision because there is so much to watch. We're starting to figure out, like Crave just offered a week, uh, sorry, Crave was offering a week's free trial, and mm-hmm. now it's 30 days. Rad, you were saying Mubi has a deal? Yeah, Mubi is a dollar for three months, 
right? And which is yeah, fantastic. And I, if people aren't aware of what movie is, I mean, I think it's it's a very curated streaming service where they add one title a day, I believe. And so each title only has 30 days on the service before it cycles out. Um, but, you know, lots of great movies. So a dollar for three months, that's your quarantine right there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, I don't, what, what other... I mean, I know Criterion Channel... The Criterion Channel is out there. They have a 14-day right, trial, yeah. I think. Well, and then look um, at, you know, Hoopla, which is free if you have a library card. Uh, you know, I was a member and I just didn't realize it until somebody told me on Twitter. And I thought, oh, you know what, I can catch up on these old things. And and they've got television shows, too, hundreds, I think. So I started using yeah. that. Comic yeah, books, comic books, yeah. audio books, mm-hmm. music. Uh, Hoopla is a great service. I've, I've actually done a piece for now that will hopefully be up by the time this drops uh, about the free stuff, the specifically mm-hmm. free services. Tubi is one, which it has ads, but it has a deep catalog of... Shout Factory mm. titles, which are wow. all the yeah. weird 70s, 80s, 90s exploitation wow. horror movies, black exploitation, gladiator movies, mm-hmm. sword and mm-hmm. sorcery stuff. There's like all the Mystery Science Theater episodes are there. Wow. You can spend a month on that <laughs> thing for nothing. And it's yeah. free. It never, that mm-hmm. trial never ends. And then there's Canopy, which uh, gives you eight mm-hmm. uh, credits per month uh, if you have a library card, but also has an unlimited kids section. Uh, where you can just pro like Sesame Street, they have entire seasons of recent Sesame Street seasons, and they have movies and television shows for days. And that stuff doesn't count against your rental, which is really really nice. I think they're very, they're very much aware that. And this is the other thing, right? All the streaming services are in this place where they realize they can grab people for life if they offer them something that they need. So yeah, I wonder maybe in in two months' time, Disney does drop something major. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I mean, if we're talking about free services, we should mention NFB. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. NFB at CBC Gem has tons of free stuff that, you know, you know, try and have a little wave the Canadian flag and stuff. Because I believe uh, uh, the Canadian film distributors and stuff are all going to launch an initiative next week, maybe, to, like, like support Canadian film, offer it dis- offering discounted prices. Get out, big boy. Sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm worried about. Yes, thank you. Close the door, honey. Okay. That's good. <laughs> Bye, baby. <laughs> Um, he's like, lunch is ready, Dad. It's like at three o'clock. Great. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, what was I? Th- yeah, I think uh, the, the, you know they're looking for ways to support all these Canadian f- titles because you remember this was Canadian Screen Week. That's what they know. Like so we were supposed yeah. to have all those Canadian films that were lining up their run this week, their theatrical runs this week to coincide with the awards that was supposed to happen this weekend. Yep. Um, and I had actual tickets to the ten for the first fucking time, and uh, that's not happening. No. But yeah, all like if you, what was uh, supposed to come out? Like uh, Blood Quantum was supposed to be next this this Friday. Um, yeah. Uh, and at thirteen thousand feet, feet, we were supposed to be hosting a screening tonight, uh, and yeah. that was supposed to be have released last weekend. And I think uh, we all those uh, best picture nominated films. Uh, what's the other one? White Lie and such. Uh, White Lie was coming out in Murmur. April. Canadian Strain was supposed to come out last week. Murmur is April third. Yeah, all of these things are are pivoting and figuring out what to do. All of these movies that are just going to get lost because everyone is presumably stampeding to see the Vin Diesel comes apart with nanotechnology movie. I really don't understand what that film oh. is. I will watch it, but that's just a weird. <laughs> Which pitch. one are we talking about? Bloodshot. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? He's oh, it's terrible. No. Oh, Have yeah, you seen yeah, it? It's terrible. Oh, I didn't <laughs> yeah. realize. Yeah, Vin Diesel is made of goo. That's apparently that's it what is. it is. That's it the trailer. Is. Well, I mean, anyway. they know, they're, they're, there's an ambitious premise there, but then there's Vin Diesel who just fucks it up. So, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like it's it's the kind of movie that if Keanu Reeves was in it, then you'd be like, okay, like there's something here. But you know, Vin I Diesel see. has two expressions. <laughs> yeah, 
Does he say family? <laughs> I, uh, no. no. <laughs> but that's yeah. how bad it is. I mean, I could just imagine him saying family, even though it doesn't fit at, at all. At all point. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a Sony picture, so Universal probably has the license to him saying family. <laughs> I am Goop, right? He could say, I am Goop. That's cool. <laughs> Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, you're bringing up bad memories. Let's go back to the kid. Well, how is this affecting the Canadian film industry and such like that, right? Who don't have, you know, yeah. they expelled how much marketing money, and they don't have that. They don't have the money to like yeah. kind of float this boat and uh, stuff like that, right? And in terms of like our theatrical business, so Cineplex laid off all of its part-time staffers, and the, you know, so I, I mean, I'm wondering how all of these institutions are going to survive at the end of it all. Yeah, uh, I was going to say it remains like the the best way out of all of this is to say something remains to be seen because that's how you end every podcast about con- uh, contemporary current affair thing. But we really don't know. Like we have no idea what's coming next. The the, the government of Canada is talking about, hey, get out, please. The government of Canada is talking about individual. Daddy's in an interview. Get out, Aww. please. Sorry, we will. No, no, no. We'll let you have lunch. It's okay. Uh, where was I? Uh, yeah, the government of Canada is, is talking about individual support to to citizens, mm. taxpayers, people, but the industries themselves are still floundering. And yeah, it's just a matter of time before we start seeing real casualties. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's interesting. So, I mean, you shared the story I wrote last night was about how Canadian television shows are actually produced, like using their supplies to provide to hospitals. Uh, like their medical so shows like coroner and transplant and nurses are like, well, the hospitals need all this, like uh, these masks and gloves and shit. Let's just take our supplies. We're not shooting right now. Right. Wow. They're, they're, so these are props yeah. that they're well, sharing. These are, but, but they're they real bought. supplies yeah. that they use as props. And, and yeah. it, I mean, I yeah, love yeah, yeah. the irony that a show called Coroner is helping to try and save lives. But yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, yeah, so they're the, that, that's what they're doing. What other efforts are we seeing from, like, or like, like, I mean, like, I mean, in terms of Canadian film production, you know how that huge that is, right? It's like $9 billion a year yeah. industry, which is completely shut down. Um, I was talking to Miles Dale about, you know, he's producing the Guillermo del Toro movie. Uh, Nightmare right. Alley, which was shooting here with uh, Kate Blanchett and Bradley Cooper and Rooney Mara. Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara reunited after Carol. Uh, that's what we want to see. Uh, so that production shut down, and they, they, yeah, they had their studio space uh, booked out till May. This could wow. carry over, and I'm just curious as to like, you know, like you, you think about it, a two month delay on these productions could ripple into an over a year delay because then when they get back to work. What does that mean for actors' schedules? What does that mean for the, the studio space that they rented out? And Miles Dale, the Nightmare Alley producer, he's like very optimistic. Like, I think everyone's just gonna shift like this, and you know, like all in unison, so it won't be that bad. But you know, I guess, like you said, it remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, you would hope, right, that it would be that mm-hmm. simple. That because we're all exactly in the same position, we're all paralyzed. We're all just waiting for the next clearance. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that would be great, but. Someone's going to have a problem yeah, with it. Are Someone always does. And um, by the way, and I think when you were sp- speaking about funds and aid packages, I think Netflix contributed to Canadian economies aid packages and stuff, or city the city like like okay. they contributed a certain fund and stuff. Um, yeah, like uh, in terms of all these fundings, like I mean, I know that there's probably a lot of crew and stuff having to apply for just basic employment insurance, right? And that's what I think we're all yeah, looking yeah. at right now, because uh, I mean. Speaking to how I am no longer writing about film and television, I'm writing about I'm helping Sam Edwards on real estate uh, and like coronavirus stories. Essentially, uh, the, like what I'm we're currently working on is all these people who can't who, who lost their income, uh, who have to apply for EI, who 
can't pay rent and may want to uh, take part in this rent strike that's happening on April 1st because screw the evil rich landlords. Except that not most landlords aren't very rich and most landlords do rely on rent to pay the mortgages and everyone's kind of assuming that you know you could just defer your mortgage because that's what the government said and that's not really the case because well first yeah it's not yeah, that no, simple. it's a case by case thing in terms of who some some banks are saying oh it's for primary residences only whatnot um and but i in some of the cases so i mean even let's let's assume the best case scenario that everyone can get this mortgage deferral mortgage deferral is not mortgage forgiveness mm -hmm. right mortgage deferral is we're putting off your payment you don't have to pay right now you three months down the road but three months down the road that payment that you deferred has been applied to your principal and you the include and the interest that you deferred has been applied to your principal so then you're going to just pay interest upon interest so you're just building the most massive debt in the world and yeah exactly so. yeah which is why, of course, the banks are probably fine with it. <laughs> exactly, it doesn't hurt yeah, them at it's, all. It suits yeah. exactly. It suits their model in a be in a way even better than actual mortgages yeah. do. <laughs> oh, but speaking of like now, in terms of how we're all adjusting, I'm not, we're not, you're not reviewing movies. We're not reviewing movies. Like I mean, I go on CTV well, to review movies, but that's not the case. Now yeah. we're just going on there just to talk shit. Yeah, I yeah. have one or two a week I mean, the still. The I mean, I'm stuff. lucky enough that there's mm -hmm. still people are turning to, well, and there are, yeah, HBO isn't stopping, Netflix isn't stopping, mm -hmm. there's a, a Canadian show called Vagrant Queen, which I think is supposed to premiere on the 27th, I haven't heard differently right. anyway, which I'm looking forward to, uh, and then there are, like, like, this week, there's Vivarium, there's one movie that's going to be available as a new release on Friday, mm -hmm. uh, for VOD, for anybody who wants to watch it, and that's, I guess it has cornered the market <laughs> if it can if it can get itself you know out there beyond birds of prey mm. and bloodshot and all the other well, you know a-list studio that's titles. the thing now it's entering it's coming out of theaters mm -hmm. where at least it could have that sort of exclusivity and it's entering this market the streaming market which netflix i mean netflix in itself provides you enough to like just you know like like waste your time browsing their titles without even watching anything so entering that market is that really better for these movies i don't know yeah, well, I mean, that's why we're going to review them and just keep right. them, you know, like, keep them, give them a little bit of a head, uh, not a head, just give them a little bit of well, a boost in the market. You were lucky, we'll, we'll you're lucky Norm, with Vivarium because it had a theme that you were saying, you know, resonates with our time right yeah. now. Uh, so people can relate to it when they're stuck at home, like this couple yeah. in the movie. It's, it's about two people trapped with themselves in a suburban tract housing development that they can't leave. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, well, there's that, there's the platform um uh, last week uh that came out on netflix and and these these dates were scheduled months in advance that this isn't profiteering or or an yeah. attempt to capitalize on it i think it's just in the wind everybody could sort of feel this was mm -hmm. coming well i think i mean that's i'm i'm curious to see what they do with blood quantum uh the the jeff barnaby zombie movie because i mean like it was supposed to come out this week it's pushed off we don't know when, but I am wondering, are they going to release it? Because now seems like a kind of a great time to talk about a virus that's infecting society and who, you know, like just dealing with the class issues uh, that, that come with, you know, when, when you have a virus situation, you get to see who gets to survive and who doesn't. And it's usually based on class and whatnot. And it's interesting to have a movie that's specifically dealing with where indigenous people feel uh, sit on the social ladder uh, a movie like that dealing with the virus, uh, viral crisis and such. So I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, why are they not just gonna put it out there and let everyone watch it? Because it's just so fitting. Yeah, uh, is it that they're also hoping for the theatrical boost and and well, yeah, you know, it's it's. I mean, 
a small film. Yeah, I right? mean, I guess that's, that is what it is, right? Like, I think they probably, like, the, there was a promised theatrical release and they want to give it the best release possible. And so I guess they're just trying to figure it out. And also, the model for yeah. advertising films has sort of gone out the window too, right? Because something show up in your feed that seems so frivolous and just like, why should I care about this? You know, when, you know, there are people dying and, and uh, uh, you know, and struggling with this, with the virus. Uh, I, it's, it's weird when something that is non-COVID related sort of pops up on your screen or whatever. And, and other ways, you know, print, advertising, full page ads and things. Uh, I don't think they're, they're buying those ads. So how are people going to find out about this and, mm-hmm. in traditional ways? Well, but I mean, I think there yeah. is a lot of people who are looking for just distraction. Who are like just sick of, I mean, fuck. I mean, I'm writing real estate coronavirus stories mm-hmm. all day. I am absolutely up for watching fucking singing in the rain right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, like just something like escapist. So, and I mean, that's, I, I don't know how to advertise it, like you said, because right now advertising is all social media yeah. and it's all like Facebook and stuff like that. And unfortunately, the algorithms are all going to privilege COVID-19 related content. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you get the word out there that this lightweight rom- rom-com or whatnot is, you know, exactly what you need. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, to, to be seen, I guess. Yeah, well, that's what our next episode is actually going to be. We're going to do an episode about comfort mm-hmm. food and the things we're turning to. Right. So write down Singing in the Rain. That one's yeah, yours if you want it. it. <laughs> it's like, all right. I'm gonna, if you guys give me the time to write about it. because I, like, Well, no, yeah. I think we, I'll find it. I'll uh, find yeah, it. Podcast form. <laughs> yeah. But this is where we are. We just... Um, we're just figuring out the landscape with everybody else as we go. And, and at least as, as journalists, we get to react to it. And so that gives mm-hmm. us a beat to, to figure mm-hmm. it out. Uh, I'm just glad I, I have that pivot instead of having to figure out everything about my job and my life on the fly. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's go out on that note, a tiny little note of hope that we will still be podcasting about this stuff next week because it means we'll all still be alive and safe. <laughs> Stay home. <laughs> yes, stay home, wash your hands. I'm watching this on Zoom and we're all touching our faces. We have to stop doing that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, I've, I do it too. Um, but yeah, uh, just follow Healthy Protocols, everybody. If you're listening, thank you for listening. And uh, we, will, uh, we will be back. We will talk to you guys soon. And if you have a story of your own escapist uh, entertainment or something you'd like to share with us, just email it to us at, I think the email we're using is news at nowtoronto.com and we'll read them on the uh, next podcast because why not? We're a community service. Thanks for listening and we will be back.